Welcome to Babes Get Baked, your fave pot podcast, hosted by your babe, Ashley Shea. We'll spill all the high tea and nothing is off limits. Hey babes, welcome to Babes Get Baked. In this episode, we'll be speaking to Yad, an owner of a legal cannabis dispensary in Toronto and his incredible journey that led him to the industry. With the legalization of cannabis in Canada in 2018, many people sought to cement themselves as a figure in the industry to capitalize on the legalized plant. Some saw the opportunity and money in operating dispensaries and pursued that route. Currently, Canada has over 1,000 licensed cannabis stores in operation. However, there are few that are not just in it for the money. Dolly's Cannabis is a legal dispensary that opened in October 2020 and is not your regular shop. Apart from ensuring consumers have access to quality products, their mission and story separates them from the rest. Welcome, Yad. Thank you so much for joining us here on Babes Get Baked. We're so excited to have you. Owner of Dolly's Cannabis, how are you today? Oh, I'm exceptional. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Of course. Amazing. And do you want to just give us an introduction on who you are, your role in the cannabis industry, and Dolly's Cannabis? Wow. So I'll start with the name, Dolly's Cannabis. Dolly was my sister and my first patient. And that is a journey that goes back over a decade. And starts right here in Toronto. I had, you know, recreationally used it in college here and there as far as cannabis goes, but nothing major. She was diagnosed with kind of a rare form of leukemia. My background professionally was in in medicine, radiology specifically. And so I kind of had some know-how of standard practices. So we did everything that you're supposed to do at that time. And then that didn't go so well, kind of reverted, came back, was pretty aggressive. I started thinking really out of the box, started looking for other solutions or other things that could help even complement solutions was kind of rare or uh, a cure was rare. And I had you know, traveled the world, try to figure things out. I was working with a good team of naturopaths and the naturopathic board out here, some Chinese medicine doctors and just some out of the box, like, you know, a, a hope and a prayer. Ultimately, through those couple of years while maintaining, somebody had mentioned a guy out of Canada that was actually treating people with cannabis. His name was Rick Simpson, uh, well known for the Simpson oil the extraction of the resin and then taking it directly. I had gotten hold of him through an organization called Phoenix Tears back in 2009. We were kind of on our last resort at that time. It was looking grim from the doctor's perspective. She was progressively going quite quick. She was 17 at the time, my baby sister. You know, I had to do anything I possibly could. Rick was very positive about it on the phone. He says, you know, you just got to be very aggressive with the dosing. I more or less looked at it and said, I presented her the video series that he had done and said, we're going to take this shot. Uh, I did become very aggressive with the dosing, despite not having much details or anything out there regarding it. I just figured at the very end, she's not going to be scared making this transition in life. And what started happening is we came back the weekend we weren't supposed to. And they looked at us and because it was a, a cancer you could measure in the blood relatively easily, they were like, what did you do? And, my, and a smile came on my face because I realized something happened and a third of her cancer counts were gone. So we continued that aggressive dosing. 10 days later, we're down to 10% of the disease. They could not figure it out. I'm, you know, kind of in the background jumping for joy. And then I run out of the stuff. And so I had prepared some stuff myself 
there was some BC Chronic back in the day. And Rick Simpson was sending some batch of his own through his networks. And by the time his stuff arrived, I had to do something. So I got this dose, got another batch, gave it. It just, the cancer started going back up. We're like, what's happening? I figured once I took it, because I was the human test subject at that time, there was no labs. And nice. I was like, oh, yeah, I was like, this stuff isn't as potent. So let me try giving more of it. So once I got to a certain regiment, sure enough, it plateaued again. And then we completely got rid of the cancer at that time. She was cancer-free wow. for months. Yeah, she uh, celebrated her 18th birthday, which she wasn't supposed to have. She was having other complications related to the previous treatments with chemo and radiation. Ultimately, that did take a toll on her body. And unfortunately, a month, few months later, she did pass from those complications. I mean, she passed gracefully. You know, she told me thank you and goodbye, and I love you, and I got to go now. And it was her time. I was left with the work the very next day. I was treating another cancer patient at SickKids that was uh, terminal and, and, and hasn't, haven't stopped since. You know, that, that stuff has taken me on journeys all around the world, Hindu Kush mountains that they talk about, you know, going up there and seeing where the plant originated from, plus neighboring plants. So it really built a passion for it that I've still been a part of from every aspect of, of this plant and what it represents and how important it is to people for the last, you know, 10 plus years. Now I'm lucky enough to have to have a shop in in my hometown where I get to help people out every day. That's amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that story. Dolly's, you know, incredible to have a brother like you. And I know she's looking down and, and just smiling and, and absolutely in awe. And I know whatever you continue doing, it'll be incredible for not only her, but for, for the entire community. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's clear that there might be some barriers with medical marijuana in Canada, obviously, including stigmatization and access. You know, what are your thoughts on that? And do you see the recreational market right now also having any negative impacts with the medicinal market, with the recreational market maybe taking over? It's a financial thing that's happening. And, I, and I'm very public about advocating to the representatives from the individual LPs out there. As soon as the rec market came in, all the focus really became recreational. I'm not sure how much development prior to that, there was some things in the pipeline that was going to be towards medical and more research and more money spent on that. But it seems like a lot of it has gone towards the rec market, which I can understand. It is a lucrative market for the LPs. It's growing with the amount of shops and exposure that they have and the need to ramp up. But it has done a disservice to the medical community because I, I don't think they really had enough awareness and enough access to begin with. You know, this dates back to the MMAR our program, this was over a decade ago, that started where you had to wait months and months and months. Sometimes there's a queue process because you wait over a year to get your MMAR card to then buy directly from the government-related dispensaries. I think there was only a, a few at that point. Or you can go to a compassion center. The compassion center shut down in favor of the licensing that happened. Now you can park a rec and be with some outfits. I'm not saying that it do bad product. You know, they offer discounted flour. They offer discounted oils and some at kind of higher potencies. But that's about it. It still leaves it very ambiguous for a consumer that, you know, uh, especially dealing with some sort of chronic ailment that is, is, uh, has a physician that might favor it, but doesn't have a lot of knowledge base on the cannabis side. And then dealing with an LP that can't provide any sort of, you know, knowledge base on that side as well. So it's a lot of self-management without, you know, kind of bridging that gap. How do we expect for that sector to ever really grow into something significant 
as the demand is increasing, right? If they come into the store and they ask for edibles, it's very expensive to do things like that daily. The oils are a great alternative, but from the rec side, we can't really, you know, let them know, even if they're very specific or just kind of wanting a starting place of how to go about taking, you know, for their medical ailment. I, I very much want to be a part of that. And that's really the move, you know, Dolly's Cannabis was the first offering and something great for the city. But I really wanted to spearhead more of the medical side and medical product advocacy. Yeah, no, for sure. I think there's a huge gap with the medical marijuana and how it's it's regulated, you know, with access in Canada. How do you see it moving forward? Do you see that the government will kind of put more money, more funding, more education? I, I don't. I just don't think it's a government related matter. The government gives access, right? Mm-hmm. And it's still, you know, heavy on Health Canada and Health Canada has protocol for things like this from natural products and not just cannabis related that if you are offering something for a reason, then you got to prove the reason and the rationale. You know, that's not on the government side. That's never been on the government side here in Canada or worldwide, really. So the LPs would be the ones that would have to, you know, shell out some money and, and see if it was worth them investing. And that wouldn't be a quick return, Right. To do studies like that takes time, takes years sometimes to really prove it. But once you've established something, then you've established something. So there is that that prize for that, you know, that sacrifice. But I think the greater one is for, you know, the patients themselves, because, you know, chronic disease is not going to go away anytime soon, right? We're not, you know, favoring that. So a product like this is very beneficial. Most people can get off many of their meds or even reduce them significantly. But, you know, the LP is even providing good product. And then having some sort of knowledge base for right now, there's some private clinics that do cannabis-based consulting. A lot of them are nurse practitioner driven, but I don't know where they're really getting a lot of the knowledge base from as well, right? They, they're not directly connected with LPs. So it's, it's kind of everybody's out there, but no one has been put together. More funding or, you know, maybe there's a, a, something that we can present to the government collectively uh, as an organization that might help you know, kind of favor what direction that if the government needs to be involved with finances, what direction that is. So yeah, there's still there's still more work to be done. We're still we're still young in this. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. I was reading up more recently on kind of the history of medical marijuana. And it's been used for, you know, not decades, not hundreds of years, but 1000s of years by I think almost everyone's ancestors from, you know, ancient Egypt to ancient China and everywhere across the world. And it's crazy that only in the last depending where you are in the last 200 or 100 years that it's been prohibited and vilified. And then all the information, you know, our ancestors have been educating themselves and passed down from generation to generation has kind of just halted. Do you kind of see that as well? It has. It's kind of been like, a, like I always say it takes two generations to forget everything, right? Because like yeah, you remember as far as your grandpa and if your, your grandpa and your dad didn't tell you, it, then you've missed it, right? Like it's gone. So that's what's happened over the last 80 years since we, the campaign started to turn cannabis into what it, what, what it wasn't. And now bring it back into the light. You know, Bristol Myers Squibs, for instance, Squibs back back before it was Bristol Myers Squibs, you know, along with others, used to make a cannabis-related elixir. You know, it was used by the American Medical Association as well as the Canadian Medical Association quite prevalently up until the early 30s, I believe. And then it, it kind of lost traction. There is a lot of good stuff, you know, worldwide in terms of research. You know, Israel is really leading the pack. You have some a lot of good stuff coming out of Germany, and we have a, a, a an example 
of what can be done by GW Pharma, right? They first started with Sativex and they made the cannabidiol, the Epidiolox, right, version uh, in the States. So what this category of, of drug is called is an orphan drug, right? Because you can't really patent what the Tylenol, for instance, right, being a, a synthetic compound, you can't really patent something that's natural like that. So it, it, in that sense, it's an orphan drug or considered in that category, but it's very significant. I believe that all knowledge never gets lost, even if you burn the books, right? Because mm -hmm. people get enlightened all the time and it just happens because there's a need for it. There's a need for this momentum and this movement. This is why it's come this far, right? It's really been off the back of medical. So yeah, it wrecks there and it's enjoyable and it does serve well. You know, most of the world is plagued by depression. So it does help, you know, even just from that standpoint, we're going to see more and more of it. Canada, I believe is it can be a, a focal point, right? Because, you know, what we're seeing in the States just starting out with possibly this, this new act being governed for decriminalization of, of marijuana. I think Canada is still ahead of the curve. We're always kind of resource lacking. And again, more of our push over here, I think Health Canada is able to listen and able to uh, allow that just got to follow some protocol and put the work in right there's there's again we're young we're new we can do more and and we will because people want it people people are also reading the news and are aware of you know the same facts that hey this stuff has been around for thousands of years and used for all types of things so you know once the proof is there once the people's demand is there it's, it's going to be prevalent it's not going to go away yeah, for sure. No, the fight's definitely continued and the protests are just starting, if anything. So with yourself, with over a decade years of experience working in the cannabis industry in the United States and in Canada, have you, would you say, noticed any major shifts just in terms of stigma between both the U.S. and Canada and just in general over the years? 100%. The amount of calls uh, from very orthodox families to very open families, just willing to give it a try, or the even the desire to give it a try, has been a huge turnover I've seen in the last decade to the point where 10 years ago, really talking about it fell on deaf ears to, you know, being able to even lecture on it, and then being approached about it. I remember distinctly, I was in a place called Needles, California, Right, it's like at the borderline of California and uh, Nevada border, and there were some uh, avid companies that were trying to get uh, marijuana grows and things set up in those type of places. So I had done uh, a small presentation in front of the city council there, and this is city council, right, government, right, and and you're like, okay, and I was just expressing that you know volatile extractions can be very beneficial for extracting certain components of the plant that you can't get otherwise done well in a safe environment can be done safely and then being approached by the same city council members regarding ailments was just very cool right and showed me that oh you know the taboo is really going away you'll still always have some people on this side of this side of the fence but overall there's a huge acceptance a huge wave of acceptance it's going to continue and continue it's going to really normalize this thing yeah that's amazing it's crazy because you know even myself growing up now it's legalized but even despite that, I've always thought, what's going on? This is just a plant, you know? Exactly. What have we done, right? It's, 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 I mean, culturally, I'm Indian, right? So we see it in India. You know, I've been back to India and seen it. Oh, it's go, it goes everywhere, right? It's just all over the place. You don't even bat an eye. You don't think twice about it. 
yeah, even in India, it's illegal technically, right? It's enforced like that, but nobody takes it that seriously. I think at the end of the day, no, everybody knows that it doesn't cause this great detriment or impact on society. I had a lot of concerns with my local BIA or organization for my region, you know, and I'm in the Casaloma region. And I was expressed that, oh, you know, your shop. And it was with some of them. You know, everyone has their own opinion. Some of them were like, you know, you're going to bring more riffraff in. There's going to be more vandalism and these type of things related just because I've opened a cannabis store here. And I'm like, no, I'm going to do my due diligence. I'm a government-operated store. I have my own onus on me to even monitor my surroundings. And nothing like that, you know, has occurred. And I, I think all these taboos and stigmas, especially with our millennial generation, is just going to... It's just going to go away. I used to think it was tough, right? Because to, to talk to somebody that hasn't used it ever and grew up with that whole reefer madness issue. But then when you look at the ones that are 30, you know, going on 50, they're never going to have this notion, right? They're just going to be like, oh, I, I have this. I'm going to take that now, right? Like they're, mm -hmm. they're never going to look at it in that same light. So the future is very, very good for cannabis, you know, and very open for cannabis. Plus others, you know, we won't get into the, the shroom conversation. Oh, yeah. Not psychedelics. Yeah, I know. Oh, I'm so excited. Uh, so excited but, about that. But, the, but there's more to come. There's more to come. With your dispensary, it's been two months now? Yeah, Open. two months. Yeah, soft opening started September 24th. And then we had 10, 10, 20, our big grand. And still going strong. Community has been beautiful. We really want to be the community store. That was the whole point of this, right? It's just to, to serve the place where I grew up. Exactly. I think that's so refreshing to hear, especially because just like in any industry, especially a new industry, you have a lot of people that might ha not have the same intentions that you do, especially with the story that you have. You know, they really just want to capitalize on, on profit and money, um, which I get it, you know. Sure. We're all living our best life, right? But um, it's it's very refreshing to hear. Do you have customers that come in and maybe you actually hear that they prefer to support dispensaries like yours, other than more uh, chain dispensaries? Let's say a lot. Okay, <laughs> which is great, you know. And no negative to any of the majors that are doing it, right? Like they've kept, mm -hmm. they've allowed the industry to become the industry. Mm -hmm. I can't negate them at all. But there is room for a person like me. There's room for a single shop owner that's here, that's listening, that's catering to just the surrounding people. And it res it's reciprocated, right? They come in, they go, we know you're not a corporate outfit. We just love coming in here. You know, the whole feng shui and, and, and kind of how the decor and how the shop was, was really just to be really fun with cannabis, right? Because it, that's what it makes you feel like, right? So... I think the, the experiment has gone well. The community has really uh, been huge and pivotal in, in keeping us relevant and keeping us going and, and allowing us to stay here and hopefully be here for a long, long time. Yeah, that's so great to hear. So we first connected back in August or September, I want to say. And I remember yeah. you telling me, I think you have to tell this story at least or touch on it on your journey in opening the store because you like you just mentioned you don't have a whole corporation behind you you're a one-man show oh my god i was in california at the time and i enlightened this was last year when i enlightened my wife i'm like all right so uh canada's going in and i think maybe we start considering it so 
I came in during the lotto time, the second round lottery that happened, gathered all the funds, got some, you know, got significant help in making that happen. It was a trying, trying week, you know, that, that $50,000 credit line that you had to have co-signed for or, 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 or yeah, available for, right? That was a tough one because it all had to be a government letterhead and banks were like, we don't do this. I remember sitting there with my mom and at CIBC downtown, you know, young Lord, and, and, you know, just saying seven hours we sat there back and forth, back and forth till we wow. got approved. And I got that application in August 9th, 2019 at like 7.15, like 45 minutes before cutoff, right? Completed. And it was heartbroken, right? I didn't get it. So... I thought I failed, right? I walked back and I was like, okay, I'd stay quiet for a while. But I had security premises and that was a very difficult task back then. Now I see more and more favoritism and, you know, shoot, real estate agents are putting it out there that, hey, you know, but it's available for a cannabis store. Back then, nine out of 10 would just hang up and be like, no, nah, forget about it. We're not even considering that. So I was trying and I was able to kind of already kind of secure this building. So this year came around, I just kind of casually, but, you know, still assertively responded Did the first half for your, your store authorization. And then your RSA, you know, I, I got it like, you know, within the first week they called me. And so I was like, oh, wow. And then COVID hit, right? Yeah. Like, what do you, what do you do? So I'm like, okay, I, I, I'm going to just pause for a minute. I'm just going to really pause for a minute. I ended up saying, no, nah, it's, it's, it, I'll take advantage of this time. We're going to open up. I'll take three months to renovate. That was trying. Uh, you know, I had to do the hurdles for the AGCO to prove and do all my pre-requirements, did those. And then the waiting period, which a lot of, unfortunately, if you guys are out there waiting for your store licenses, it's a tough one, right? You pay rent, you just sit there and you just wait. And, and that can go on for months, right? Some, I heard. I mean, they've just doubled up again. So now they're doing 20 a week. They, had, they were originally doing five a week when I got my license. Five a week. 20 licenses a month. They had told me sometime in August, I'm going to get my license. Then they, I think at some point, uh, progressively went to 10 and now they're at 20. But I got my license August 10th, 2020, a year to date from when I applied. That gave me goosebumps. That was, that was affirmation. Of course, um, if that isn't a sign, I don't know what is. You know, like exactly, right? You're here and you're supposed to be here. So it took that negative from last year dramatically away. Then getting the shop open was another, you know, that's, that's life. I don't know if it's everyone's, uh, but you really got to fight for what you believe in. And that uh, that last, what do they say, the last 10 feet of that mountain really tests you, right? And it was really a test. I was just trying to get the building fixed. You know, uh, I won't mention the neighboring parties that kind of <laughs> try to prevent that but there was a lot of mishandles but you know then some angelic people came through and really made it happen i got a big beautiful purple building which was dolly's favorite color you know daring at people all day and, and a lot of people a lot of people like it now it, it, it was an enduring journey uh, as an individual especially of putting it all on the line and saying all right you know, I'm going to do this. I, I, I got to see it all the way through. I love it. That's such an inspirational short story. And I think that goes to show, you know, if you really want something and if you really believe in it, you'll find a way to make it work. 100%. What is your mission and future plan for Dolly's Cannabis? Wow. I mean, it's a business. Absolutely. Right. It has to, it has to function. It has to make sense. It has to make ends meet. It has to take care of my employees. I got to be able to pay the rent and I got to, you know, maintain what I have. 
but I really just want to be a staple in the community. I want to be synonymous where, you know, you come around this area, you know, Dolly's, right? It's just become Dolly's with, when it comes to people. I love it because I hear her name, right? It's mm -hmm. been 10 years to hear her name in the city. It's just beautiful. And uh, uh, I just, uh, I want to continue to grow on that. You know, if other things are, are allowed naturally, then, you know, to be able to favor that. I want to do manufacturing. That is really my forte. That's really what I've put the last 10 years into is the case study work, is recognizing what ailments, and then doing the proof for that, you know, doing, going the Health Canada route and really showing that, that these people need to be served just as much as anybody that can walk into a rec recreational store. I believe in the moms, the uncles, the grandmas, and everybody else that would like access that needs proper access to have it that's really the strong goal for me and kind of phase two i'm not big on like there's there's certain people that have the model right i want to open 10 stores 20 stores that's great you know financially it makes sense i want to do one store really really well i, I don't care to be like financially the biggest show in town like there's always going to be somebody bigger and stronger i just want to do it well and have a great reputation, feel welcome for everybody who wants to come in and then really move on to the next phase, which is manufacturing, take on that challenge and do more in that related field when it comes to uh, medicinal cannabis. And then hopefully work on the specific ailment that she had to create some sort of major offering that could be in hospitals one day. I got the 10-year plan. I'm on it. That's amazing. I have no doubt that you will be able to succeed and, and reach that goal. Thank you. It's the well wishes that matter. Those get me through the doors that I can't get through myself. Well, thanks, Yad, so much for sharing your story with us. How can listeners stay connected with you and Dolly's Cannabis? If you're ever in the Bathurst and DuPont area, Annex area, we're at 1105 Bathurst Street. We'd love to see you come on in. Feel free to just come on in and just say hi and visit and just see what we have. Just as a, not even the products, just who we are. We'd appreciate anybody who does that. You can follow us on Instagram. We are at Dolly's Cannabis. You can email if you have any questions at info at dollyscannabis.com. We're all ears for you. We are listening. Your advocacy matters. And we really just are here for you guys. Awesome. Thank you so much, Yad. Thank you again. It's a pleasure. And thank you so much for considering me for this segment. Really meant a lot. Thank you so much. That's a wrap for this episode. Thanks for listening, babes. Subscribe to know when the latest episode drops and follow us on Instagram at babesgetbaked. And keep an eye out for some exciting new developments on babesgetbaked.com. Happy holidays, babes. Oh.